Hey guys, it's Brad. Welcome to Remote Software Genius. All right, let's go. Hi, Shiva. How are you? Hi, Brad. Uh, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, thanks for coming on today. Um, today is going to be, a, I think, a fun and exciting venture in computer science. We're talking about deep learning, machine learning, artificial intelligence uh, related topics we can get into the nitty-gritty in a minute uh shiva why don't you introduce yourself first uh so my i'm shivkant uh so i'm a research engineer uh i graduated uh in two th- uh, in my from my master's in 2018 uh, from oklahoma state universities uh, my work at at that place was uh, to see how machine learning can be used to le- and leverage machine learning to build models for already well-established community called uh, CFD or computational fluid dynamics or see how it can influence or build new models there. So, uh, so I, there I came up with a deep learning model, which, which used regularization as a constraint as against like regular, we use regularization to, you know, uh, constrain the weights. So here I'm trying to use the regularization to constrain the physics that I'm trying to learn from the data. So I did that work and I published that work uh, and that's what, and after that I moved on to a couple of jobs and now I'm looking for new opportunities. Uh, uh, Got it. So you're fresh out of school. You did at Oklahoma State, that's the Cowboys, right? Yes. Nice. Okay. So you're a cowboy, master's student, former master's student, recent graduate. Yeah. And because you're a cowboy in Oklahoma, were you, the fluid you're modeling, was it oil? Uh, no, I was modeling atmosphere. Okay, got it. Cool. Um, th- that's fun. I-, I feel like you're, I, I'm very jealous. I almost wish that I went to school, you know, graduated in 2018 in machine learning because like machine learning in 2009 was, like, <laughs> it was, it was a thing, but it wasn't very fancy, you know? Yeah, so, until 2012. Yeah. It, it, didn't, it didn't click, you know, it didn't make a big impact after yeah, 2012. Yeah, right, right. Um, cool. So talk about like, cause you, you know, way more than I do, like talk about the community, talk about like scientific machine learning. Um, tell me, tell me a story. So, uh, the field that I am in is some, where it, it's driven by derivations, equations, and we know how the fluid flows and, uh, how, how, it, how, how it behaves. We have equations for that. Mm-hmm. So, and we use those equations to predict or learn new things. But scientific machine learning is a field of combination of two where we use data and also the knowledge that we already have and then try to come up with new best models or best ways to, you know, do predictions or, you know, forecasting, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that is where scientific, uh, scientific machine learning is taking, taking, uh, like going, going, it's, it's improving. Sure. So one of the, the the deep learning i think has made uh, brought about a lot of impact in autonomous driving and other other social impacts like you know uh, uh, in netflix uh, like sure. uh, things like that so recommendation that recommendation, yeah, recommendation uh, system yeah, i'm with you so they know they know uh, they they have a lot of data but they don't know how the physics how how it works they are trying to learn from the data but in my community we know how how the fluid flows Mm-hmm. The equations are already there, but solving them is very, very, very challenging, and uh, it takes a lot of time to do solve them. So mm-hmm. 
but we have a lot of uh, experimental data that we already are taking like like for example atmospheric data we have probes everywhere and we have data and then we want to there is currently a lot of research that is going on that where they are taking the atmospheric data that we are already uh, you know taking and then try to get knowledge from that and then also we have also the knowledge how this fluid evolves and then they are trying to combine both of them yeah can, so that's can what i scientific machine learning is all about let me rephrase for you because i'm trying to understand this too so in maybe a, a more classical machine learning problem you have data and you have some answers maybe it's unsupervised but the but basically the machine you want to the you want the machine to discover patterns for you and categorize things or and you're kind of happy with it being a black box what you're doing yes. more with fluids is you have let's say a, a system with kind of chaotic outputs so seemingly maybe like you know climate as a whole uh it looks almost random Mm -hmm. in, in its output, but there are underlying truths that physic, physical truths that can't be broken. So you're, you're taking that machine learning model and saying, okay, we don't want this to be a fully black box. We want to constrain, constrain it by what we know to be reality. And then yes. let the, let the, di the other dynamics kind of play out or, or be discovered by, you know, 30,000 GPUs running in some server farm. Is that, is that, Yes, in, 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 in a way, you're right. You're right. So we also we have some about, some knowledge about it, but we are not completely uh, dark. We know how it behaves and we want to build because yeah. machine learning is training takes a lot of time, but deployment is very fast. Yeah. So that's where we want to go, like where we want to deploy learning, uh, whatever we learned, deploy it at a much faster rate and get predictions at a much faster rate. That's, that's very cool. Uh, I like it. Uh, it's fun stuff. Um, so let's talk about tooling a little bit. Um, back to what I mentioned, I feel like the tooling has exploded. And even like since two years ago, like I remember, I remember playing around with TensorFlow kind of when it first came out, it was like, okay, it was certainly fascinating. It was great to have that Google stamp on it. Like, you know, it's going to maybe be around for a while. It's, uh, and then all of a sudden I feel like TensorFlow 2 came out and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so much easier now. And like, there's so, I played out around with other stuff. Like, I don't know, Uber came out with this thing called Ludwig. That's like an easy shell on top of TensorFlow. And uh, talk about your tooling, what you use and what you kind of see in the, in the community. Uh, I think uh, TensorFlow has brought about a bigger impact, I think, in the machine learning community. So the first machine learn uh, the first TensorFlow was more of a, more of a static programming where you had to build a graph first and then you know send the data to train it. So that was one one way it it it, it hinders with rapid prototyping I think. Yeah. But with the 2.0 they embedded Keras, yeah, which 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 is like which 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 helps you you know rapid prototyping. You can just build a LNet with a very simple like five to ten five to ten lines of code and then you could build a LNet model in that sense. It's very so simple cool. and it's very so fast cool. and very, very fast to prototype things. Yeah. So that's, that's the change about they, that's the biggest thing that, that they brought about. And it, it attracts a lot of research communities like, and me also, because it helps me, you know, don't, not to worry about the memory allocations. Right. There are so many things that goes into there. So yeah. I don't need to worry about it. All I need to do is write a Keras or TF.Keras and then add a layer and then I have a graph, ready-made yeah. graph that I need to, you know, 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and like the, the addition of, I feel like the addition of Docker really helps too. Cause I, and I remember like in, installing everything was kind of a nightmare, but you, you know, Docker, yes. it's just like, it's, it's almost yeah, too easy. It, it helps with the versioning, different oh versions. God. You have different versions. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, um, the, so the other thing that they brought about uh, are customizations, like customizing, like say I, I told you about the constraints, right? Mm-hmm. That we want to put impose constraints on the network. So those constraints now can be customized very easily. Mm-hmm. You can add derivatives because our equations or models have a lot of differential equations and we can embed those differential equations into the neural networks and ask it to learn based on that knowledge. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a big, those are the two big changes that I have seen. Yeah. Um, so go check it out if you haven't, or if you haven't checked it out in a while. One thing I worry about though, is I think there, there was some government mandate who, who the hell knows like, okay, AI is a protected export. We like everyone's now restricted from sharing AI expertise. Like, does that mean Machine learning, because AI is so big. AI can mean anything. AI is almost a yeah. throwaway term. Does are, are people in the community worried about the future of these kind of open source projects or future development? Is all of a sudden the U.S. administration going to say, oh, Google, you can't, you can't improve on TensorFlow? Like, that seems crazy to me. Is that a worry or am I, am I the crazy one? Uh, I wouldn't say it would be a worry because uh, Google... It's Google, because Google brought about it, that doesn't mean that the development doesn't stop. So there is PyTorch, which is an open source. Yeah. So you can't, like, you can't stop development. Yeah. Development happens at its own, uh, it, it has its own path. I, I, I haven't played with PyTorch much, but doesn't Keras also work with PyTorch as well? Because Keras is kind of its own. So Keras is more of a TensorFlow. Uh, Py, PyTorch already has a Keras sort of a module. Got it. Into it already. Cool. Perfect. So all right. PyTorch gives all those uh, all those nice things that people like about Python. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. more dynamic. You could just introduce a different variable and it, it will try to, you know, create its own graph and then it will do all the background stuff very easily. You mm-hmm. don't need to be worried about it. You could just, you know, as you, you could, it, it's like writing a novel. You could yeah. just write whatever your thoughts are and then you can execute it. Uh, that's that's beautiful when things work like that. Love it. All right, let, let's talk about. I feel like people, as you mentioned, are more familiar with maybe modeling, vision, or text, or even financial data. What what other kind of special considerations do you have when modeling fluid or, or atmosphere, other than the like maybe the constraints? Like, tell us tell us some secrets if you have any. Uh, because we have a lot of data. Generally, it comes with a lot of noise. Mm. So noise you know removing the noise is one big one big challenge that people still haven't explored like how how do you you know remove noise the second uh, the second factor is that uh, for the physicality so for once because uh, neural networks are a lot a lot of they're probabilistic mm-hmm. uh, hello yeah i'm here uh, your video is stuck in you're good keep going Okay. Yeah. So there are a lot of probabilistic. So when you deploy them, you might get some, some sort of uncertainty and that uncertainty creates a, gives you a wrong, the wrong result or different result than what we see in physics, in the, in the nature. So 
so we want to avoid something like that but when you when it comes to uh, computer vision or uh, risk data we don't know what is real and what is not mm-hmm. real but for us as a as a fluid dynamic community we know when when something is real actual prediction or not an actual prediction mm-hmm. so we have those kind of bounds and checks that can help us you know uh, play play with the results and tell okay this is a good result or this is a bad result and that way we can improve on the model much better much faster got it T- talk to me about hyperparameter tuning so like uh, for those who don't know like machine learning you have a lot of kind of big you have the design of your network so like how many layers does it have what type of lo- type of layers it has but you also have things like learning rates and activation functions and epochs and batch sizes um Tell, tell me about how how you approach hyperparameter tuning or give us like uh, the th- the two minute view of what you learned in school to share with us who haven't had the you know benefit of getting a master's degree in this yeah. um or like what are what are your tricks <laughs> yeah so i think that's a very good question uh, and still an un- unanswered question mm-hmm. uh, we know that like for in, for example in neural networks we know how the weights are trained from say loss function mm-hmm. through bragg propagation and through the flow of gradients but on the other hand we don't know how to tune these hyperparameters based on the loss function so it's still an ongoing research and it's there is a lot of uh, interest in that direction uh, but still as of now we are still using uh, the rudimentary or the basic uh, grid search mm-hmm. or random search mm-hmm. you need to you know put them into a grid and then do some smart uh, you know, try different different hyperparameters and do see how the loss function varies and then yeah pick the best one or do the random search where you know span it out or if you want to do more inclusive study or if you want to see how it develops so then you need to go for like with more bayesian optimization or genetic algorithm so uh, in my in my in my masters i did one project where i used genetic algorithm mm-hmm. to span to you know to to you know to randomly uh, create a population of 100 different hyperparameters and then train the neural network and then it will find the find the most optimal hyperparameters for that so and i have seen some research where they've used genetic algorithm to uh, fine tune or optimize the lnet nice. lnet architecture yeah. so there are other ways and then uh, i i have a friend in uh, organ organ national lab they have a they have a they have something called a deep hyper and they have they 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 have a module called a hyperparameter search so all you need to do is create two objects and then give it to that sort of programming and it will give you it will output all those best hyperparameters that will give you a lowest loss function i'll, I'll take it be, I, in that world you need just like you have a pretty module that does it for you and then infinite amounts of compute to just rerun yes. your model a million times but th- that's great and and i think that's that's generally true uh i mean compute is so cheap that you can do stuff like that so that's yeah It, that's super fun it all depends it all it all boils down to the trade off yeah yeah of course what's the um, trade off and, and some people are going to insist doing it by hand just like some people are still doing i mean machine learning stuff in like r by hand or something who, who knows um cool so let's talk about the future for a bit like where uh where do you want to go next right you're you're looking for new new jobs and opportunities i feel like there are actually i'm seeing more uh, more kind of startup 
outreach to me personally than ever almost right now. So a lot of people are, you know, some startups are coming down, but there are a lot of new startups um, starting up. Um, where do you see yourself moving forward? Where do you see the field moving forward? Um, and if you want to like opine on general AI, like do you, are, are robots taking over everything? I mean, AI, like I said, is such a loaded term, but talk about your future and the future of the field. I think uh, AI is going to be ubiquitous in everything that we design and develop. I think it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be an essential part of all the futuristic developments that we, we are going to do. So I'm optimi op optimistic about it uh, that uh, there is going to be a lot of change in that direction. And learning AI or having that tool, I would I would I would attribute uh, you know machine learning as a tool. Okay, in your pocket yeah. would always benefit. In whatever you do, yeah, and it has already shown a lot of promise in many, many, in many fields, yep. especially the autonomous driving and uh, computer vision. Yep, there's a, like bounce and they're 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 progressing at bounce and leaps, and you never know in in coming in 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 the future we'll have a driverless car. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think in my field it it hasn't made made a very big impact as of yet, but I I, I uh, I'm very optimistic about uh, it will have a lot of impact. So in my field, we, we do a lot of design and analysis. So for example, uh, uh, how, do you, how do you improve a shape of some airfoil or some, air, some car, things like that. So we still are we still using conventional methods to do mm -hmm. that, but with more development in this, in, in the scientific machine learning coming in, in, the, in that direction, uh, I think there might be more improvements, like where you will see different designs. Like, because we, as a human, as of till now, we have always used our intuition with some, you know, some data, and then made some correlation, and then we came up with the designs. Yeah. But you don't know the the convex might have a different uh, optimal optimal solution that you can't even perceive. Right. No, no, I like that. That is and possible. I, and I think the car design thing is kind of a cool example, right? Like, and I think, too, you could you could say you have a model that for like F1 or NASCAR or something, like, okay, we're going to design the most, the smoothest car that's going to have the least air resistance. Um, but you also could say, all right, I want to take the, the history of car design and pick a car that not only is going to have decent, airflow but also sell well or like you know you say oh, yeah. is this design have the have the machine kind of decide is this a pretty design or not um i've been kind of itching to, to do something similar with like i don't know art price like modern art like take take modern art and guess the price of it because the modern art market is insane um yeah but but that's uh that's fun um uh, and uh, you know i i wish you luck on your job search i, I think you're you're right that machine learning is is going to eat the world um just like software it's, it's great so i think you picked the right field you should be happy with with what you know and uh, you'd be a valuable addition to many teams um but let's close with with a a big question like a general ai i know i i try and stay out of this as much as i can right because it's, it's just like science fiction generally but let's 
let's put our thinking caps on. What is general AI something that we should be terrified of? Um, is it is it inevitable? Is it possible? Um, tell me, tell me your thinking. Um, I, I, I have uh, I have views, external views that I I don't know. I haven't much thought much about uh, general AI. You know, to be feared about, but I think uh, uh, it's it it might be possible. There there are both skeptics and uh, prop, like people who support it. Like say, uh, I I listen to a lot of uh, Lex Friedman's uh, uh, podcast where he mm -hmm. talks about a lot of like the promises that. Uh, the machine learning and the general AI would bring about, and there are skeptics. That I I read a book called uh, Rebooting AI, where they talk about uh, why the current direction that we are taking using for you know developing AI is not the will not help realize this general AI, yeah. and they call it narrow AI, and they yeah. say that uh, the sole dependence on data will not uh, will not help realize the general AI. We need something more something more and they call this this uh, the current uh, this the direction that we are taking where we use data as narrow ai okay. and they want something broad or like say generalized ai this is why so, i stay out of this this is all insane to me <laughs> yeah so <laughs> it's it's all like we don't know yeah there is a lot of research that is going on uh, we don't know yet until we see it and there are big big brains that are you know they're working on this big companies that are working on this and we will see we, we might see some direction cha directional change in coming years but as of now we are still going forward with the with, with the data-driven learning i would say because yeah, we have a lot of what data. works and makes us money right now right yes. <laughs> let's let somebody else work on that other stuff yeah so as of now we are working on that and maybe like there will be that there, there will come a point then we'll might change direction or things like happen we don't know yet yeah and when it comes to will we, we should we be scared of uh, uh, general ai I, I i would say no yeah. because we are like we have seen a lot of movies where ai takes over us and so i think there are skeptics who will say okay we need to be very careful and when we design anything i think we will embed those sort of a fears into it and then we'll try to you know like make sure it has a power button yeah <laughs> like that's it there you go exactly yes yes fine. all right yes, cool. exactly. um let's leave it there thanks shiva this was this was fun um and uh good luck and we'll talk soon okay that's it for today we'll see you guys next week feel free to send us a voice message an email or a linkedin message you can see all the links in the show notes have a great week